Well, hey, Northridge, how are you guys? So good to see you. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge. I want to welcome all of you here. If you're a guest, wow, we're so glad that you're here with us. Uh, we're not going to embarrass you or anything, but we do want you to know that we're honored that uh, you would invest your time today here. Those of you watching online, we're so glad that you're with us as well. So we're in this great series about hope, and uh, this has been one of my favorite series Pastor Brad's ever done. I think in his wisdom, he knew that this was something that we all needed, right? We, we, we needed to be reminded of the source of our hope, how we find hope, how we hold on to hope, how we cultivate hope. And it's been such an amazing series. My goal and my prayer for today is that I just don't screw it up. Uh, and if I do, it's okay, because Pastor Brad will be back next week and he can fix anything that I mess up. So that's good. That's the good news here, okay? We're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. But I want to talk today a little bit about this idea of hope and how do we continue to cultivate hope? I think a lot of people think hope is something you have or you don't have, and we don't understand the reality of how to tap into the hope. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've accepted him in his life or in your life, you've asked him for forgiveness of sins, then you know, and Pastor Brad has done a great job through this series of reminding us that Jesus is the source of our hope. So as a follower of Christ, you have hope in you. But that brings up a, an interesting scenario, right? Because you don't always feel that hope. I don't know about you, but right now in this moment, I feel a tremendous amount of hope. Like watching those baptisms, like being in worship, it's like, I'm, right now I'm just like, I feel like I can run through a brick wall, right? Like it's amazing to see what God is doing here and what he's doing in individuals' lives. It's just, it's phenomenal. But the reality is later on today, I could lose that hope like that. I can all of a sudden became, become extremely cynical about life, about the world, about the direction that we're all headed. And my question is, why is it that for most of us, our hope is all over the place? One day, you're full of a tremendous amount of hope. The next day, you're just like spinning, like what's going on in this world, what's going on in my life? Everything feels like it's completely out of control. So how do we get to a place where we can on a regular basis feel the sense of hope that we know is already inside of us. And hope is a simple concept that no matter what's going on in your life, you believe that it could improve. Now the opposite of that hopelessness is, the, is, is this feeling that nothing can improve, that whatever's going on in your life today is what's gonna be happening tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, there, there's no feeling that things could be better, that things could improve. You just feel stuck. You feel stagnant. You feel like you're languishing. And the truth that we want to kind of unpack today in the time we have is the simple truth that hope requires growth. There has to be growth, right? The very nature of hope is that it's living, it's breathing, there's action involved, and then we actually get to participate in that. We've been looking at the book of Acts throughout this series, and in Acts chapter 2, we get this amazing snapshot of the early believers, of the early church, this early community, right, that's come together. Jesus has died on the cross, he's resurrected, he's ascended, and now there's this group of people who have the Spirit of God living inside of them. And we get to see, we get a snapshot right here of what's going on with them, what they're participating in, what they're focusing in on that has given them tremendous amounts of hope, even though circumstantially maybe everything isn't going the way that they want it to go. 
And it says this, those who accepted his message were baptized. We just got to experience that, right? We saw the hope of that. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So here's the action part, all right? Pay attention. There's growth here. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So they're focused on generosity, right? We just, we just saw, I thought it was so cool seeing what, we, as a church, you guys have done through Love Runs and the millions of dollars over the years that are given to people who desperately need help and hope. I love that. I would, I'd be a part of Love Runs, but I don't run. And so I'm waiting for Love Walks to come along. And, or, or Love Sits on the Couch. I, I will be the president of that group because the only marathon I'm doing is a Netflix marathon, right? But, but generosity, right? They're focused on generosity every day. It's not a sporadic thing. It's not when they felt like every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right? This is, this is church, right? This is church at its best. There's generosity. There's focusing on the teaching of, of the word. There's community. There, there's, there's this active participation. There's this focus, if you will, on growth. And they experience all kind of growth. They grew, we see in just these few verses, they grew in numbers. They grew in truth. They grew in love. They grew in power. They grew in generosity. They grew in involvement. They grew in joy. They grew in worship. They grew in reputation. And they grew in impact. All of that growth happened in just those few short verses that are describing what the early believers were all about. And it came, right? It came from this incredible sense of hope they had. But there's a problem, and the problem is this. Many who claim the hope of Jesus don't grow, right? It, it's, it's possible for you to have the hope of Jesus living inside of you, for you to have, you know, um, invited him to be the Lord of your life, and then for there still to be stagnation. Because a lot of people view kind of Christianity as they cross this line of faith, of, ooh, I'm a Christian now, I've been saved, I'm going to heaven, that's great, right, fantastic. But they think that's it. And they don't realize the active participation that we're all to play in this journey. And there's this fundamental expectation that goes to the whole New Testament. I'll show you one example of this in Second Peter. It says, but grow but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a fundamental expectation all the way through the New Testament that we would be growing progressively in Christ-likeness. Now, I don't think this chart is always up and to the right. I think the reality is we, we go through seasons, right? Some of you experience amazing seasons of spiritual growth where you were laser focused on Jesus and what he was doing and his purpose and plan for your life, and something comes along and you get distracted, you get sucked into that, right? Or you chase after this, or you chase after So there's seasons of this. I don't wanna give this unrealistic expectation that your entire Christian life is gonna be all joy and all, and we're always moving progressively towards Christ's likeness, but there's this expectation. There's this expectation that over time, you are growing 
right? You're focused. You're allowing the fruit of Jesus to kind of flow through your life. It's a fundamental expectation. Now, the question, though, I want to go back to, practically speaking, what does that look like? How do we set ourselves up for the kind of spiritual growth in our life that then opens up our hearts to experience hope? We need this because hopelessness, which some of you feel right now in your life, is a crippling force. Hopelessness makes you, again, believe that tomorrow could not be better than today. Things can't improve. Again, it's languishing. It's stagnation. And where does that hopelessness come from? Not to oversimplify it, but for most human beings, the moment in time where hopelessness can slide into your life is when you have a heightened sense of vulnerability and you have a diminished sense of power. It's those moments, again, heightened sense of vulnerability. You feel vulnerable to everything, to all the circumstances, to all the people around you. And then at the same time, you have a diminished sense of power, meaning you think you can do nothing about it, that you're a victim of life. Life's happening to you instead of for you. And you feel like you're just kind of, you know, there, there, there's, you're not living a created life. You're not living an intentional life. You're living this, what I call a default life. Life's just happening to you. So how do you counteract that? There's this passage in the book of Psalms. It's one of my favorite passages in scripture. I'm gonna read it to you. And then I wanna kinda go back and I wanna pull out some just real practical things that I think we can all do to set ourselves up for growth, which then sets us up for hope. And the passage says this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. All right, some real practical things here. Starts off with this idea, I lift up my eyes. What does that mean? I lift up my eyes. It's actually a very common Hebrew expression. We see it all over the Old Testament, this idea of I lift up my eyes. Now, it's not just talking about your physical eyes here. It's talking about this principle of to notice something, to focus on something. This phrase is kind of this Hebrew expression that's speaking to one of the greatest freedoms that we have as human beings. It's the freedom to place your mind wherever you want to place your mind. It's the freedom you have to choose to focus on whatever you want to focus on. You can give your attention to whatever you want to give your attention to. You can give your energy to whatever you give it to. But even though we have that freedom, right, to place the energy, the focus, the attention wherever we want to, we have to know that wherever we place that focus, wherever we place that attention and that energy, it comes back to us. It's secular. It's not like you give away your attention and your focus and your hope, and then it just disappears. It kind of creates this loop, if you will. So you have the option. You can focus your attention, your energy, your focus on your problems, on the things that are stressing you out. You can focus your attention and your energy on local headlines and national headlines. You can focus your attention and your energy on this heightened sense of vulnerability and this diminished sense of power, or... You can lift your eyes to the mountains and you can focus on God. And whatever's going on in your life, your bank account, your house, your office, with your kids, you can choose to do that right now. So this concept of lifting up your eyes, where your focus, where your 
uh, energy where your attention is, in my opinion, is exactly why, this speaks directly to why our hope is all over the map. Our hope's all over the map because our attention and our focus and our energy is all over the map. We're not paying attention to what it is that we're giving it to. So we feel constantly tossed back and forth. One day you have hope, the next day you don't have hope. And when I'm talking about being tossed back and forth, I'm not talking about the real emotions that you and I carry on a daily basis. We're all carrying a variety of very real emotions right now in our life. Uh, Right now, in this moment, I have a lot of excitement about some different things that are happening in my life. I also have some real sadness over some loss that I've experienced recently, right? So I'm carrying all kinds of different emotions with me, right, that don't necessarily have to transcend the hope that I have inside of me. So when I talk about your toss back and forth, I'm not talking about those real emotions. What I'm talking about is how you're undisciplined in your focus. You're undisciplined in your focus. And we got to get disciplined with our focus. We have to be disciplined about what we give our energy and our attention to because it impacts how we live our life. Um, any football fans here? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you. Uh, any Michigan fans? Uh, any, any state fans? I, like, I love that. I love the energy you have after a loss like that. I think that, that no, I, I do. I think it's great. I don't know if you noticed this, but my shirt is, is both green and blue. I went right down the middle. I'm like, I'm not going to make anybody mad or I'm going to make everybody mad at the same time. But either way, I'm waking up today. I'm going to be a winner. I have both colors on. However it goes, I'm going to be a winner. So I love college football, but I'm also a big NFL fan. Uh, I grew up in Nashville, so we have a team called the Titans. And so that's kind of, you know, who I follow. And it's kind of weird, you know, in in every... Oh, my gosh, this is funny. (laughs) That's not supposed to be there. That, that slide has not popped up in any service yet. I didn't put that slide in there, but somebody, that's funny. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's really funny. That's really, okay, there we go. That's the slide I thought was going to pop up on the TV. Oh, we got such a funny group of volunteers around here. So anyway, God bless every one of them. We might need another baptism service. There's some people that need to get baptized, I think. So we have this phrase, and I know every sports team, you have different phrases like go blue or whatever. Our phrase is tighten up. We don't know what that means. We, we don't know, but we, we freely say this to one another as Titans fans. It's like our language. You pass somebody on the way to the game, it's like tighten up. I have a group of buddies. We've been Titan fans together for a long time. We go to games together, and it's kind of our ritual. On Sunday morning, right, there's this group chat, and while other pastors are deep into God's word and prayer, I'm firing off texts that just are like, tighten up. And then everybody in the chat's like, yep, tighten up. It, it, again, we have no idea. You can walk around Nashville and you'll see signs all over the place that just say, tighten up, right? That's what we say to each other. So I'm going to talk to you about tighten up, but it's a different tighten up. We're going to spell it differently. We're going to talk about tighten up. Like, you got to tighten up your focus. You have to tighten up what you're giving your energy to. We have this human freedom, right? You can place your focus, your attention, your energy wherever you want to, but you have to understand it creates these loops, right? It creates these loops. It creates these different energies in your life. 
And so it's like, um, you ever noticed uh, social media these days is, is highly intelligent to giving you more of what you want. And they know this. They measure everything from how long you're on a picture to when you click on a picture to how long you scroll down through things. They notice what it is that you notice. And then they serve you up. My, I mean, you, you ever wonder that? You're sitting around looking at your phone and you're like, how did they know that I really wanted that sweater? Well, at some point, you clicked on something or you followed somebody or you liked a picture with that sweater in it and they were like, oh, we, we got them. We got them, they're focused on this, they want this, we just have to serve enough of it to them until they know it. So when you give your attention, when you give your focus, when you give your energy to something, it creates these loops. And the key is being aware, dragging the unconscious to the conscious and being aware of what you're giving your energy to. So you can endlessly click on those uh, articles about the economy. And guess what? You're, still, you're gonna see similar articles about that economy. It's creating this loop. It's, th- there's, a, there's a being informed about the reality of the world, and then there's being obsessed about what you view as the realities of the world, right? There's, there's, there's being, um, what's the word here? There's calling it what it is. And then there's getting so focused on something that you create this loop that you're focused on it all the time. So things happen in life, right? There's events, there's moments, there's circumstances that require our focus. They require our attention. Let me, I'll give you a very practical example. Let's say that this week, my kitchen sink stopped up, right? There's a problem. It's a problem that requires some focus and some attention from me, right? The sink has to get fixed. We can't live without a sink that drains in the kitchen, right? So I'm going to go through a normal progression. I'll set this up in two ways. I can handle it one way, which is, okay, I see it's broken. I try to fix it. It doesn't get any better. So I'm like, oh, man, I'll try YouTube. YouTube it, right? I'll see some video about how easy it is to fix your sink. I'll try to fix it. It still doesn't get fixed. I'm like, dadgummit. All right, now I know what I got to do. I got to call a plumber. I call a plumber. They're like, yep, we can fix it. No problem at all. We got the tools. We got the resources. We'll do that for you. We're really busy these days. There's a lot of clogged sinks. We'll be there in two days. I'm like, all right, two days it is. And I'm done. It's going to be fixed in two days. It's a nuisance, like nobody wants their sink clogged for two days, but it's going to be taken care of. They're coming in two days. It's done. I gave it the appropriate amount of focus and attention and energy. That's what it needed. Now, there's another way I could have handled that whole scenario, which is often the way it plays out in my house. The sink is, is, is broke, right? And I'm immediately like, are you kidding me? Why does our stuff always break? Why can a sink just not do what a sink is supposed to do, which is drain down. Like, why is, this, why is this so hard? And so then I try to fix it and I can't fix it and I get all mad and I'm angry. I'm like, why can't I fix a stupid sink? Other men know how to fix their sink, right? They don't have to get on YouTube, right? They, they can do it. And, and I'll start this loop of Pete, you're such an idiot. Like, uh, again, other people can do this and it's not a problem, it's not an issue. Why can't you fix this? Why can't you do something simple like that, right? And why does, you watch the YouTube video and you're like, who is this? That's not how you fix a sink, right? This is just a setup. They're just trying to get me to click on the video. Like, why why are they wasting my time? And then I make the phone call, right? And they're like, we'll be there in two days. I'm like, two days? Are you kidding me? Two days? Like, why can't you get any good help anymore? 
Why does nobody want to work? Oh, this has to be Biden's fault. I'm sure it's Biden's fault. He's done something. Like, what's the world coming? You, you see the difference between the two? In this second scenario, and that wasn't a political statement, by the way. He just happens to be the president, right? And so that's kind of an easy target there. But you see the loop? See how in that second scenario, I gave the situation an inappropriate amount of attention and focus and energy and see what it did? It spins me right into hopelessness. So again, listen, it's very subtle, but if you want to grow in your life, if you wanna become the man or the woman that God's created you to be, if you wanna live with a sense of hope, I have to drag the conscious or the, yeah, the unconscious to the conscious. I have to become aware of what I'm giving my eyes to. What am I giving my focus to? What am I giving my attention and my energy to? Because that's coming back to me. I'm an active participant in this world, in this life that God's gifted me with. And when you look at that passage in Acts 2 that we started with, where they're filled with awe and many miraculous signs and wonders are happening, you look at this group of early believers who are so filled up with hope, where's their focus? Where was their attention? Where was their energy? I mean, you read through that text and you see it. They're gathering together every day. They're praying together. They're breaking bread. There's fellowship. There's communion. There's generosity, right? Their focus and their energy was going all into this amazing life where God had rescued, you, rescued them from their sin, and now they're living with this gratitude and this focus and this energy pointed towards Him, and it's created this unbelievable loop of hope that they all felt in their life. But if you fast forward, fast forward through the book of Acts, right? And the early church did not always have that focus. And the moment they took their focus and attention and energy off of those things, all kinds of problems erupted. So go back to this idea, right? Back to this passage. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. We all have that freedom for what we give our focus, attention, and energy to. Where does my help come from? Right? Where does my hope come from? My help comes from the Lord. Really important principle here. Why, why are we looking up? Why is our focus and attention and energy on Him? Because He is the one, right? My help comes from Him. One of the, I think, really tough things about hopelessness and identifying that as a problem in all of our lives is that Hopelessness can take a lot of different forms, right? So for some people, hopelessness looks like workaholism because they pour themselves into something that they feel like they can control and manipulate, right? Which is achievement. For some people, hopelessness looks like procrastination. For some, it's an overwhelming feeling of depression. For some people, hopelessness is something that you try to medicate by drinking more than you should be drinking, by pouring yourself into achievements, by pouring yourself into the internet. Very often though, what's happening with any form of hopelessness is we're trying to control and manipulate something that as human beings, we were never designed to control and manipulate, right? What this passage is reminding us, so important, is that God, not me, is in control. Right? God, not me, is in control. So most often when I feel overwhelmed, when I feel this sense of hopelessness, it's because I'm assuming a position in the universe that's not mine to own. 
But there's something inside of me, right? There's something inside of me that wants to depend on my resources, on my education, on my gifts, on my ability, on my bank account, on my network of friends, right? But what you'll discover at some point, we all do, is that none of that stuff can ultimately help us. Why? Because my help doesn't come from me. My help comes from the Lord. And who is he? He's the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, he's the author of life. That's who he is. That's the power that he, that, that he has, right? And so again, for me, hopelessness comes when I get focused on, on my plans, right? right? For some of you, the hopelessness right now is you thought you would be further along in life than you currently are. You don't like where you're at. You know, you, you thought you would have received that promotion by now. You thought you would have been married by now. You thought you'd be out of debt by now. You thought you would have had kids by now. You have all these plans. You know what scripture says about our plans? Jeremiah 29 says this, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Notice what he says and what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I know the plans that you have for you, right? He says, I know the plans that I have for you. And they are plans to give you a hope and to give you a future, but you gotta trust in me, not in some kind of plan that you've created for your life. There's nothing wrong with plans. There's nothing wrong with goals. I love plans, I love goals. I love kind of trying to figure out where my life is gonna be three years from now or five years from now, but ultimately, my hope does not come from being committed to those plans and those goals. My hope comes from trusting my God enough that when my plans and, and, and my goals get destroyed or I fall short, that ultimately I can trust in Him that His plan is greater than my plan. But some of you are so worried on trying to figure out your future, right, that you're not focused on the Lord in this moment. You're not present in what He has for you. I thought about this this morning. I don't know if it was this way when you guys drove in, but early this morning when I was coming to church, the fog was so thick. Like, I don't think we have fog like that in Tennessee. It's like, really, like, I'm like, gosh, like, you couldn't see, you know, more than about 20 feet in front of you. And I, in that moment, right, you can't ultimately see where you're going. You can't think about or worry about the traffic light that you know is maybe a mile away. You can't see that. You can barely see the car that's directly in front of you. But I made it. How did I make it? Even though I couldn't see more than 20 feet in front of me. It's because I kept focused, right? I just focused on what was right there in front of me. I couldn't think about what was 100 yards away or half a mile away. I had to be focused right here. Some of you are so focused out here, so worried about all these different plans that you've created, and you have this hopelessness because you're so focused on your plans instead of being focused on what he has for you in this moment. And listen, God is really good at interrupting plans. Like, read through the Bible. Like, he's like the chief, like interrupter officer. That's kind of like what God does. Like, read through it, right? David, he didn't plan on being the king. Daniel didn't plan on getting thrown into the lion's den. Joseph didn't plan on getting thrown into prison. Noah didn't plan on building an ark. Um, Mary didn't plan on getting pregnant, right? All of these were seemingly interruptions to whatever plan they had for their life. Think about this, not a single story in the Bible begins with, and then some human being had a great plan. 
It's not there, right? It's not there, right? Again, this doesn't mean that we don't make great plans. It just means that ultimately we have to trust a God who holds a much larger picture for our lives than we do. We have to be focused on him. He's the master, the maker of heaven and earth. He's the author of life. And then he gives us this, I think, amazing promise, right? My help comes from the Lord. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. That's amazing, right? He will not let your foot slip. In other words, it says here that he who watches, right? This, this is key. God gives watch. That, that little word watch actually shows up six times in the larger chapter of Psalms 121. Short chapter. Six times, I think it is, we see this concept of watch. God gives watch. God is the watcher. I am the watchee. Right? I am the kind of being who needs to be watched over. Oh, I like to think that I'm super competent. I like to think that I'm smart. I like to think that I have some gifts and abilities God's given me. I like to think that I'm figuring out what the next step is and the next step and the next step, right? But the reality is, and I'm reminded of this from time to time, I am the kind of being that needs to be watched over. I proved this to you. Yesterday, I drive to the airport, get to the airport, find my parking spot in the parking garage, take my keys out of the Jeep. Don't remember what happened after that moment with those keys, but I remember taking them out of the ignition, packing up all my bags, getting out of the car to go get on the plane. And I'm like, I go to lock the Jeep. And I'm like, where are my keys? Like, I just had them like a second ago, right? So I checked the normal, maybe it's in the cup holder, maybe it's up here in the dash, like not there. I'm like, oh, I must have fallen on the floor. Start looking on the floor. I look underneath all the seats, even the back seats, even though I wasn't in the back seat. I go to the, all the way to the back hatch. I open it up. I'm looking underneath that. I can't find them anywhere. I call my wife. I'm like, Jordan, I lost my keys. She's like, well, where'd you put them last? I, I don't know. That's why I'm calling you right now. Like, if I knew where I put them last, I would just walk over there and grab them. But, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know where my keys are. She's like, you didn't leave the car? I'm like, no. Well, like, I've been in the car the whole time. She's like, well, what do you think I'm going to do about this? I'm like, nothing. I'm just miserable. I want you to be miserable with me. I can't find the keys. Like, help me walk through this. Where else could they be? I look on the car. I'm down on the ground underneath my I'm like, the keys have to be here. I just had them, right? I start unpacking my bags. I have my clothes on the floor of the garage. I'm taking every single item out of my bag. And eventually, the second time I took everything out, I found my keys. They were in the bottom of the backpack. I think what happened is they were in my front seat, and I put them on the bag, and I didn't realize... It was open, and so they fell down in there, and so eventually I found them. I am the kind of being who needs to be watched over, right? That's me. I, I, I land in Detroit yesterday, right? I go to uh, the car rental company, and I don't know if you know how it works these days, but it's kind of cool. They just leave the key in there, so you just jump in a car, right? And then it's almost always just a start button, right? So you don't even need a key. So I jump in a car, I hit the start button, it starts up, I drive off. Don't think about a key until I get to the hotel. I'm getting out of the car, and I'm like, okay, I need to lock this car. Where's the key to this car? It's like, it's always in the cup. There's no key in the cup hole. I'm like, where's the key? I spend 10 minutes in a hotel parking lot looking for a key. The second time in one day, a key to a different car that I've now lost, 
I look all over, all the spots I looked at earlier in the morning, can't find it anywhere. I'm like, all right, I know it's in here because the car starts, right? And so I go ahead and I drive to church. I'm inside. I'm like, guys, I can't find my key. A security guy has to go out to the car with me with a flashlight. We tear the car apart looking for the key. We finally found, it's like this little, little miserable black fob, right, that was some, for some reason, it was in the glove compartment behind a bunch of napkins and a water bottle. I found three French fries, two pins underneath this. I found all kinds of stuff. Couldn't find it. I am the kind of being that needs to be watched over. Right? You, you understand this? This is the human condition. We convince ourselves in so many different ways that we have it all together, that we can hold it together. We focus on our plans and our giftedness. And the whole time, I just sometimes I think God's just chuckling. He's just like, oh, man, I'm watching you because you need to be watched, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you, and this idea of watch, by the way, it's not a negative thing. He's not watching you, waiting for you to screw up. No, he's watching with love and with care. God is the watcher, I am the watchee. We are the kind of beings who need to be watched over. Um, most of you know I have a, a one-year-old little girl. I, I show you pictures, if you get nothing else out of the message, you'll at least see my cute little kid. And uh, she's one, she's walking. I showed you a video of that a couple months ago. She was just learning to walk. And now she's all over the place. And so I'm spending the most of my time as a dad like this, just like following her wherever she goes. Because even though she can walk, maybe even walk fast, she still doesn't have a lot of coordination, right? So she falls multiple times a day. Uh, she is absolutely clueless these days to any danger that might be going on around her. So she can be walking very peacefully down a sidewall like this, and two seconds later, she will dart towards the road. She didn't know. She's not thinking about anything. She doesn't even process the fact that as her dad, I'm constantly guiding her. So she goes for the road. I grab her shirt. I redirect her back this way, right? In this scenario, I'm the watcher and she is the watchee. She is the kind of being that needs to be watched over. And I, it's so cool for me this week, I was looking at this picture and I'm like, really in life, that's me, right? And that's God, this image of this heavenly father who's giving watch to his children because he knows, he knows we are the kind of beings who need to be watched over and when you surrender to that and you allow him to guide and move you, right, unbelievable things can happen in your life. But time and time again, let's be honest, time and time again, you're going to feel as if God doesn't know. You're going to feel as if God doesn't care. You're going to feel as if God, for whatever reason, is not moving in your life. He is the watcher and you are the watchee. He's there. But we're so busy giving our attention and our focus and our energy to all these other things that we just miss it. And the psalmist is just reminding us, hey, this God, our God, he's the watcher and you're the watchee. Lift your eyes to him. Now, practically speaking, what does this look like? Let me give you a couple things I want you to do this week. First is this, become aware Drag the unconscious into the conscious and become aware of where your eyes are. What are you focusing on? What are you giving your attention and energy to? What are the things in your life that you're giving a disappropriate amount of attention and energy and focus to? 
and it's creating this loop that's slinging you into hopelessness, right? Where is it that you need to fixate your focus, right? Shift it, pivot it up, right? To look to him because that's where your help come from because he's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the author of life. So become aware of that. Look for those moments where you can correct it, you can be aware of it, and you can bring it back to where it needs to be. Second thing I wanna encourage you to do, and this goes back to the whole growth thing, that growth is required for there to be hope. Some of you are spiritually stuck right now. Let's just be honest. I mean, things aren't bad, but they're not great, and you know it. It's just off. Your generosity is off, right? Your time in the Word is off. Um, Your fellowship with other Christians is off. You're, you're just off. Again, you're, you're not out doing like a bunch of illegal stuff, but it's just things aren't the way they need to be. And the reality is for all of us as believers, whether you've been a Christian for 30 years or for three weeks, we all have a next step, right? We're growing progressively in Christ-likeness. So my question is, what is your next step? And we have strategically here at Northridge, and you heard Pastor Brad last week talk a little bit about this, We have a plethora of opportunities. We have men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, couples' small groups. We have care classes. We have steward. We we have so many opportunities for next steps here at Northridge. So what's your next step? Because the reality is, as amazing as we feel when we gather here, right? We walk out on Sundays, and man, we're up here. We are so full of hope because we've fixed our eyes where it needs to be for an hour, but then we start to feel that hope kind of drain throughout the week. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so you need some disciplines. You need some things built into your life to bring that focus back. And that's why I think some of our midweek ministries are so key because you need that recalibration because there's so many things out here in this world that are vying for your attention and your focus and your energy. And we need these constant reminders of, oh, 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 yeah. I'm giving way too much of this. I need to come back up to this. And maybe, just maybe some of you today for the very first time, you need to lift your eyes up to Jesus and ask him for the forgiveness of your sins. You've never done that. You've never taken that step. If you're here or you're watching online and you'd like to make that step, you can do that today. Sitting wherever you're sitting. In fact, I'll lead us right now in a prayer. I'll ask all of you to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you're here today and you've never ask for the hope of Jesus. You've never asked Jesus in your life. Maybe today's your day. Maybe you've been putting it off for a variety of reasons, but maybe today you finally surrender and you just say a simple prayer like this. Heavenly Father, with as much as I understand about you in this moment, I wanna ask you into my life. I wanna ask what you did on the cross to be applied to my sin problem and I want to make you the Lord of my life. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we celebrate with every one of you today who have made that declaration in your heart. God, I also want to pray for um, the rest of us who've already made that decision to follow you and we have the hope of Jesus living inside of us, but we feel overwhelmed with hopelessness. We feel a heightened sense of vulnerability and we feel a diminished sense of power. And who knows what the circumstances or what the situation is that's created that, but we feel this sense of hopelessness. 
Maybe today, God, what we needed was that reminder that we need to fix our focus. We need to tighten up what we're giving our energies and our attention and our focus to. And we need to bring it back up. We lift our eyes to you. We open up our heart to you. And God, we ask you to give us what only you can give us, which is an everlasting hope. God, help us to find disciplines, routines that can help us stay fixed on you. God, thank you for a church that provides so many incredible opportunities for us to refix our focus. God, we love you. We're thankful for what you're doing in our lives and in our church, for it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Two quick things, all right, before we go. One is this. If you prayed that prayer today for the very first time, you have no idea how excited we are for you. We're not gonna pester you or bombard you, but we would love to encourage you. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, would you just text the word Northridge to 31616? You can do that right now on your way out. Uh, and we'll send you some just encouraging information. Secondly, if you're looking for a next step, which should be most of you, right? Looking for that next step and you're not exactly sure where to go, we have here in Plymouth, um, uh, we call it the glass room. You walk out here in the lobby, it's right there. It has a big glass front. That's why we call it the glass room. We prayed a long time about that, but that's what we landed on, all right? So go to the glass room. There's people in there, very nice people, all right? who want to just help you figure out what that next step should be, where you can get plugged in. So do that today. Don't wait. All right. And finally, make sure you come back next week because Pastor Brad will be back. He's going to just do a phenomenal job wrapping up this series over the next few weeks uh, because we all need hope, right? All right. God bless. Have a great week.